All right, let's let's look at the scripture today. Um, now, if you have been with us the last couple of Sundays, I have to admit we've gone rather deep um, in, into some topics. Uh, two weeks ago, it was basically an apologetics sermon uh, defending the reality of miracles. And once once you um, establish the fact that God exists and he intervenes and creates the world, then him becoming a baby is not that hard to imagine. The, the problem that people have is they have no category for the supernatural in their mind, and then they read the Christmas story and they go, that didn't happen. Well, uh, if God, then miracles was the point there. Then last week, we did a message on the uniting of Christ's human nature with his divine nature in one person. And we talked about different heresies um, of how not to think about the union of those two natures. And we did an overview of eternity. So if, if I were to uh, put a title on, on the Christmas sermon so far, I would call it Cosmic Christmas, because we've been going uh, pretty deep and looking at some pretty amazing things. So today, um, you know what I want to do? I just want to walk through the Christmas story. I just want to take us through Matthew's account of the Christmas story. So let's begin in Matthew chapter one, and I'm going to read and then make a, uh, an observation, talk about it, and then we'll read some more, okay? So here we go, Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So this is, you could say, during the engagement period, they are not married yet, they are engaged, but to break the engagement, they would need a divorce. So it says, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man, some translations say righteous man, you could say a holy man, right, uh, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So here's the first observation I want to make. Godliness can produce turmoil and confusion in our lives, right? You might think, well, the more godly I am, the more I walk with God, the less trouble there will be. Not necessarily. Now, obviously, Mary was a godly girl. In fact, when the angel appears to her, this is how he addresses her. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And later on, he says, you have found favor with God. Now, she wasn't perfect. Uh, a certain tradition within Christendom says she was sinless. No. In fact, she refers to God as her 
savior. So she's not perfect, but clearly she is godly. God recognizes her obedience and her worshipful heart. So she is a godly young girl. And she's pregnant. And Joseph knew he had nothing to do with this, right? And there has only been one way from the beginning of creation for a woman to find herself pregnant. And trying to reconcile her godly character with the reality of her condition must have driven Joseph crazy. Okay. Sometimes godly, faithful people who walk with a miracle working God get misunderstood and judged by others. And think about this it's not just the unbelieving world who might misunderstand you, but in this case, we are told that Joseph is a righteous man. He's a just man. He's a godly man himself, and he doesn't understand. You know, uh, I think of in the Old Testament, Moses, who God appears to him and says, you're going to uh, be the leader of Israel and set my people free. And he doesn't even want to do it. He says, pick somebody else. Nope, you are the one. Now you go to Pharaoh and say that, that uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. So Moses reluctantly and with fear and trembling goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. Not only does, does Pharaoh say no, but Pharaoh places a burden upon the slaves in Israel and makes them um, double the bricks they have to make and to do it without straw. And poor Moses, he has Pharaoh hating him and the Israelites hating him. So maybe today you have just simply been faithfully following and obeying Jesus, and you're misunderstood. Could be by unbelievers or some people at work, but it could also be by people in your family, people in the church, people who are as godly as you. And I, I wish I had um, a simple piece of advice that would take away all the confusion, but I can't, I, I can't give you a, a piece of advice, but I can say this. Welcome to the club. Godly people who walk with the Lord many times end up being misunderstood. In fact, you know, Jesus said, if you're misunderstood and persecuted, blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. So that's, that's the first observation. Godly Mary is misunderstood by godly Joseph. Let's, let's keep going. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, what about, what about his name? She will bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. And uh, that brings to mind Joshua, uh, Moses' successor in the Old Testament. And uh, Joshua uh, literally means the Lord saves. Now, Joshua saved Israel by being a military leader. He saved through battle, through military means. But but here, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, we see the more important thing that God saves, or the way God saves. Name him Jesus, the Lord saves, for he will save his people, and and you, you would think he would say from Roman oppression, but no, it's a different kind of oppression. He will save his people from their sins. Second observation, our greatest need is salvation from sin. You know, there, there's a sense in which you could say every story in the Bible of God saving people from a physical dilemma, whether it's slavery or war or sickness or debt, all of that physical salvation points to the most important way God saves, and that is from sin. Salvation from slavery, war, sickness, debt has short-term earthly benefits, but salvation from sin has eternal benefits, right? With, with slavery and war and debt, we are in, in trouble temporarily with man, but when it comes to sin, we are in trouble eternally with God. Now, every generation, there's a debate that gets raised in the church. What is the church's primary mission? Is it showing the love of God by rescuing people from, uh, from physical and social uh, and uh, uh, physical problems, okay, racism, poverty, sickness, etc.? Or is the primary mission saving people from sin through proclaiming the gospel? And I, I think any nuanced answer to that question shouldn't fall into either or, okay? I, I think um, you have to have a well-balanced answer. In fact, the story of the Good Samaritan does make the point that if you are a person who loves God and loves your neighbor, you will help physically your neighbor who is in need, okay? So let's, let's not neglect the physical. But back to the question, what is the church's primary calling? He will save his people from their sins. 
Here's what we're called to do, the primary thing. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So every generation runs the risk of what you call mission creep, neglecting the main task by pursuing a, a, another task that's good and, and may be a co-task that we are called to, but you can get so obsessed with the secondary task that you miss the first task. So here's a simple question. As we're heading into this Christmas week and people seem to be more open to socially interacting and maybe you're getting together with family or, or other uh, gatherings, socially distanced gatherings, how's your evangelism? Right now, don't get guilty and now rush out and bulldoze everybody, um, but maybe a little guilty, right? When is the last time you opened your mouth and shared Jesus with Grandma or Uncle Bob or somebody at work? Call him Jesus. The Lord saves for he will save his people from their sin, right? Let's keep moving. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And now uh, Matthew is going to quote from Isaiah chapter seven, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And by the way, on Christmas Eve, I'm going to zero in on that word with. So I'm going to kind of move past that. But don't don't worry. This is a this is a very important uh, preposition. Right? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. A question came up this week. Somebody um, wanted to know, did, did Jesus have brothers? Yeah, he, he did. But I was raised in a tradition where Mary is considered to be the Virgin Mary in her entire life, and I'd just like to point out that his brothers are named elsewhere in scripture. And this word until is an important word, right? But uh, he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And that may, that may blow some of your minds. Uh, but let's, let's keep reading into chapter two now. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men, magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Who, who are these wise men? Well, we don't know exactly, but most scholars would say 
that they were from Persia. And the, ter the term magi is a technical term for men who studied ancient texts and they were astronomers who studied the stars and astrologers who read things in the stars. So they are wise astrologer astronomers who travel probably over a thousand miles through the desert and they spent a fortune seeking the Messiah based on a star. So here's a third observation. True seekers will spare nothing until they've found the Lord. And I always like to contrast these people who are willing to, um, and, and, and we don't know, we don't know if this was just a, a few weeks or a few months. It could have been years that they were following this star and reading ancient scriptures and trying to figure this whole thing out. Um, but when we compare them to the rest of Israel, just asleep in the light, as Keith Green would say, um, we see a huge contrast. True seekers will spare nothing until they found the Lord. Now, um, somebody points out there's no such thing as a seeker. Romans 10 says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Well, this is true of humanity left to ourselves. None of us would ever seek God. Yet we are given a promise in Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Well, wait a minute. How do you reconcile these two verses? One says, nobody seeks God. This one says, I'll be found when you seek me, but you got to do it with all your heart. Well, the answer is this. In John 6, 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Yep, left to ourselves, we would have no interest in seeking after Jesus. But there's a promise that those who truly seek after him will find him. And the, the, the gap verse is this. If you have come to Christ, or you are in the process of seeking Christ, it is because God is drawing you. Now, how does God draw a person? Well, in a multitude of different ways, but usually it has to do with our hearts being dissatisfied with, with everything this world has to offer. You know, Augustine, the great theologian, before he came to Christ, he lived with a woman. He pursued different religions. He taught philosophy. He indulged the flesh. And he said this, you have made us for yourself, speaking to God, 
and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Maybe you're listening to this this morning. You've tried different things. You've tried to find rest. You've tried to find fulfillment. The answer is Jesus. There is no rest. There is no ultimate fulfillment that this world can give. Now, God gives us good things. He gives us good gifts. But trying to find ultimate fulfillment as a creature created by God to know God and to find our rest in him, it doesn't work to find rest in other things. That's called idolatry. All right. So how about you? Are you seeking him with all your heart? Or are you more like the people of Israel, asleep in the light? I dare you this year, starting today, but this new year, to seek after him with all your heart. Maybe you are a believer, but you've been diverted and and you've you've been led astray to seek after other things. I want to call you back to seeking after Christ with all your heart. All right, so let's keep going. So these wise men, they follow the star to Jerusalem. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And the rest of Jerusalem gets troubled when Herod gets troubled because he's crazy. All right. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophets. And now uh, the, the scholars pull out the scrolls. They take the scroll of Micah the prophet and they quote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they knew that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go, and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, um, Herod the Great was a brutal man. Just to give you an idea of his character, he killed his father-in-law, several of his 10 wives, and two of his own sons. Why? Because he was paranoid. Any threat to him being the king resulted in murder. So, what's this he hears? A new baby has been born, and he's king of Israel? Hey, hey, Wiseman, do me a favor. Track him down, find him for me so I can worship him. But we know what his real agenda 
was, by the way, the, the main point here is there can only be one king, all right? Um, here's what happens. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, because uh, uh, in a dream they are warned, don't go back to, to Herod. So they, they skipped town, um, not going back to Herod. So when he found out he'd been tricked, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So the fact that um, he killed the two-year-olds, it's in all probability that the wise men, by the time they made it uh, to Bethlehem, um, Jesus has, is already a toddler, all right? He's already uh, two years old, but Herod wants to kill Jesus. Now, every person born is really no different than Herod. We are born into this world, Lord of our own lives. And when we're confronted with the fact that Jesus really is the Lord, we either bow the knee or we try to get rid of Jesus. Maybe not through murder, right? But through running away, through atheism, through hedonism, through pleasure, through work, through money, through distraction. But we all have a choice. Do we bow the knee? Or do we continue to be Lord of our own lives? Again, as Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Have you bowed the knee to the true Lord? Or are you still hanging on? Right. One last point. After listening to the king, these are the wise men, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They had Joy, exceedingly with great, great, great joy. This, this is, they, they found what they've been looking for. You know, like uh, uh, you too, they still haven't found what they're looking for. These guys found what they're looking for. Uh, Mick Jagger, he can't find no satisfaction. They found satisfaction, right? And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, these men obviously were wealthy by the gifts that they had. They had the ability to travel over the desert. They probably served in a palace uh, of, a, of an Eastern king. So they were wise. Uh, they were rich, they were influential, but like Augustine, they were empty. Their hearts were restless. They were incomplete. And unlike 
most of the people of Israel, they were willing to risk it all to find Jesus. Unlike Herod, they were willing to bow their knee in their hearts to the true king. Unlike the Pharisees, they were willing to abandon their false religion and embrace the true God. And their reward, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What a, what a, a simple yet profound reminder that there is only true satisfaction in Christ. Let me just kind of quickly summarize what we covered. Number one, while there is joy in Christ, don't, don't think that there isn't going to be trouble. Mary encountered trouble simply by following the Lord. So uh, when it hits, welcome to the club. Second thing we looked at, our greatest need is not salvation from COVID, not salvation financially, not salvation from, uh, you, you name the physical problem, but it's salvation from our sin, and that's why Jesus came. The promise is this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Is that your obsession? You can't share the throne with the true king. You have to get off, your, get off the throne of your own life and bow the knee. And when you find him, you will find true rest. Because the way that king came to save us from our sin was by humbling himself, being nailed to a cross, to pay for our sin so we can be set free. Let's pray. Lord, I pray uh, that you would uh, draw us all to Jesus the way you drew these wise men. Lord, may you banish from our hearts Herod's desire to get rid of you. May we be like these wise men who bow the knee to you. And I pray, Lord, for those who may have veered off and, and strayed into other things. Uh, renew our hearts, draw us to Jesus, and that, Lord, you deserve our lives. And uh, may you receive uh, glory and worship and honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.